Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice. Hi listeners, this is Meg Hofdahl and you are listening to the Wicked Library. This is season 11, episode 9. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Warning, The Wicked Library is a horror fiction podcast created for a mature audience. Our stories contain graphic descriptions of pain, murder, violence, blood, betrayal, and inhumanity. Monsters win, people die, and hope is often shattered. There is also beauty, heart, catharsis, and raw emotion. Fear may be deeply personal, but we all share it. If at any time a story takes you to a place too dark, turn on the lights, press pause, or press stop. And always remember that unlike in the real world, these nightmares and your participation in them are under your control. So, as I said, my name is Meg, and I'm filling in for Dan, who I'm sure you're used to listening to his voice. I'm trying my best to have his cool radio staccato, but I don't know if it's working. You'll have to let me know. I have written several episodes for the Wicked Library. It's a great place to explore so many facets of horror. You might also know me from my Science Of series that I write with my co-author, Kelly Florence. We have the Science of Monsters, the Science of Women in Horror, the Science of Stephen King, the Science of Serial Killers, and soon we'll have the Science of Witchcraft. You might also know me from my novels, Her Dark Inheritance series, or my short story series, Uh, Twisted Reveries. I also have a podcast, so if you like the sound of my voice, go to Horror Rewind and listen to that, and I talk all about horror movies with my best friend. So one of the things I love about Wicked Library is that it's the short story form, and there's just something about a short story that you can meet these characters for the short amount of time and feel such wonderful, extreme, horrific emotion. And yeah, novels are great. Audiobooks are great. But there's something about that punch in the stomach, that lovely little horror addition to your day, the short little story 
that can make such a difference. And the Wicked Library does that. I want to thank the listeners who are currently supporting the show on Patreon. You make the show possible. And thank you so much for your contribution. So the people that work for this show, including me, don't work for free. If you're not yet supporting the show, you can do that at patreon.com slash wicked library. For as little as $3 a month, you can help make the show you love possible and get fun rewards. A lot of hard work and money goes into making the Wicked Library. And really, they do rely on this support to help us pay the authors, voice actors, composer, and artists. In addition to knowing that you're part of making the show possible, you'll also get rewards like ad-free episodes at higher bit rates, access to bonus stories, and at higher levels of support even more. You can support us at patreon.com slash wicked library. So I'm going to introduce the story now with a little teaser. And if this doesn't get you interested, then do you even have a cold black heart? So today's episode, episode nine, is written by Pippa Bailey. Noelle and her far more scientifically gifted friend Zuri love to get drunk on Fridays and watch their favorite movies. Oh, this I like already. But when Zuri creates a device that allows them to experience film in a whole new way, Friday movie night takes an unexpected turn. Their favorite film, The Madness Beyond, will never be the same again, and neither will they. There's horror, death, bad accents, and a giant snake the storyteller or voice actor is Erica Sanderson and the custom score is composed by Nico Vitesse of We Talk of Dreams. Sit back, relax, and listen to this amazing story and just like the movies by the one and only Pippa Bailey. Moonlight blasted through my window, despite the closed curtains. I grabbed my pre-packed bag from the end of my double bed and forced a bottle of energy drink into the top. Preparation for another wild Friday movie night. Noelle, tonight we make history. Zuri, my eccentric best friend, yelled down the phone as I made my way back to my apartment from a 12-hour shift at the cosy Kitty Cafe. It didn't pay well, and I don't like cats but I needed a steady job to help support Zuri's latest project. Zuri never failed to surprise me. She wasn't always successful, but this time she was onto something. With my help, of course. Her last big thing was caffeine socks to keep you on the go. And they did. Magnificently, I might add. The unfortunate side effect was their laxative quality if worn for more than six hours in a row. Something she should have tested for before marketing them as an exhaustion cure-all. Zuri made enough on initial sales to clear her overheads, and eventually signed a deal with the Starlight Nursing Corps. Apparently they wanted something to get the elderly going, and get the elderly going. It wasn't exactly the deal of the century, 
but she'd been able to quit her job and live off the revenue. I must admit, I was a bit jealous when she'd been able to buy a new apartment over in the nice side of town, and I was still stuck in my third-floor flat in Fanny End Soho, as I affectionately called it, due to the extortionate amount of Fanny being sold on the street outside my apartment. There was no way I wasn't getting in on this new project and getting out of Fanny End. Outside, the hot summer street reverberated with the promise of a good time. Music pounded from various pubs and clubs, the volume wavering with each patron striding in or stumbling out for another puff on their vape. White, fluffy clouds of French vanilla and bubblegum hovered around the heads of security guards, checking IDs beneath flickering pink and blue neon signs. I hopped on my scooter, the cheaper alternative to the chopper I so desperately wanted, and made my way through the city to Zuri's place. I used to tie my hair up before I stuck my helmet on, but now I let it flow free behind me in a wave of lilac curls. It somehow made the feeling of being stuck at 40 miles per hour less restrictive. Twenty minutes later, Zuri crushed me in one of her python grasp hugs, dragged me through her front door, and wordlessly decanted my fizzy blue energy drink into two chipped mugs, tapping hers against mine. I took a slurp and collapsed back into one of her two specially designed jacking chairs, the chairs that cost a considerable amount of my last six months' wages. I placed a cushion between my lower back and a cluster of metal prongs sticking out from the spine of the seat. The two chairs were extensively adapted from luxurious leather recliners. Originally, we tried to get a couple of posh barber chairs, something a little Matrix-esque for our mind-bending movie jaunts. Barber chairs are most definitely not comfortable, and they don't have cup holders. We scratched that idea and settled on a couple of recliners. Footrests, armrests, heated seats, and more than enough room to tear the backs out and fit all the electronics we needed. Zuri fumbled about the large room, bouncing from her desk behind me, covered in chunks of circuit boards, wires upon wires and several monitors, to a gigantic server stuffed into old filing cabinets in front of me. The cabinets towered behind a gigantic TV screen in the middle of the room. Our lab-come-movie theatre was, for lack of a better word, insane. I swivelled my chair as far as I could to face Zuri, without detaching any of the glowing cables linked between the various computer units. I waved my fizzing mug at her. Now I'm relaxed and watered. I'm assuming we're still on for a movie night. Zuri, deep in concentration and ignoring me, continued moving dials, pressing buttons and doing a whole host of other sciencey stuff I couldn't quite wrap my head around, but had complete faith in her ability to do. She sucked saliva between her teeth, slightly stained with lipstick, and placed a switchboard I hadn't seen before onto her desk. She'd explained it to me months ago. I mean, the basic concept. Why watch a movie when you can be a part of it? Immersive cinema. It sounded a bit like one of those VR games, but she assured me it was far superior, and not because she'd invented it. I'd, of course, been sceptical. I mean, I fully believe in the project now, six months and 16 movies later, otherwise I wouldn't have sunk everything I own into it. At the time, I'd worried this was going to be another caffeine socks incident, and I was going to end up with my brain fried and possibly shit myself for good measure. The new project was currently under wraps until she'd worked out a few issues. Then we'd make millions. I might not be the technological genius she was, but it was my idea. Well, at least 80% my idea. We'd been having movie nights for years, stuffing our faces with popcorn on my sofa, yelling at the screen, and wishing we were the ones saving the day or being pounded like there was no tomorrow by the sexy villain. Don't judge. I know you've thought about it at least once. 
We'd been working our way through The Madness Beyond for the millionth time. God damn, I love that movie. Shame it has such a shitty ending. I mean, who really lets the hero make it to the last 30 seconds before they fail their bloody mission, go crazy and run off with the mystical artifact to incapacitate all of humanity? I'd started ranting about how much I'd love to give Austin Fear, the enormous grizzled Norwegian historian, a slap to see if he'd say anything more than the ya and nai he'd been scripted with, when Zuri, in her infinite capacity for weird behaviour, began tapping her temples and twitching like those old folks in her socks. It was something she always did when struck by a new idea. She gave me a nod and pushed me out the door mid-movie, telling me to come back next week. I must admit, even for her, it was a bit strange. For the next three weeks, she cancelled movie nights. Of course, not until I was on her doorstep covered with snow, begging to come in. Her secret project needed a little more work. Come back next Friday, she said. And I did. She did not disappoint. Things weren't fully formed at that point. Rows of cables bunched along the top of her sofa, some sticking out from between the cushions, attached to painful-looking metal spikes, everything soaked in the stench of melted plastic and hot dust. Zuri ran her fingers through her cropped hair and tugged on one of her gold hoop earrings. I think... No. I know I've got it this time. I couldn't help but peer around the array of wires, spikes and her buzzing PC and wonder what it was. She stepped back from her desk and waved her arms in front of her, like a showroom salesman introducing you to a car you didn't know you wanted. Movies. I nodded. We're going to watch a movie? Yes and no. We're going to experience the movie. This seemed like one of those obtuse things hipsters say when they're watching some indie theatre production. You know, one of those with the name like Ode to My Pubic Hair. I know what you're thinking, Noelle, and it's not like that. I'm absolutely, seriously serious about this. Okay, show me. Zuri sat me down on the sofa and attached one of those gummy pads they use on people in hospitals to measure brain waves or heartbeats onto my lower back and stabbed a metal prong through it. This won't hurt, but we're going to need to make this a little more permanent in the future. Permanent? Don't worry about it now. Relax, let me do my thing. Zuri's long black fingernails clattered against her keyboard, and my back started to tingle and hum, like she'd filled my spine with bumblebees. She rotated a large knob on a crude wooden board beside her monitor, and the bees began to spread up and down my body. They poured down my legs and crawled up my neck, my skin twitching goosebumps. I'm not sure I like... Don't worry, you won't even notice it in a minute, she grinned. The bees were in my head, swarming around behind my eyes and buzzing in my ears. Why won't I... Everything shimmered out of focus and then to black. I thought I'd passed out, but I'm sure you can't think whilst you're passed out. Zuri was right, though. The bees vanished, and my head didn't thrum with their buzzing anymore. A pop echoed around me, and I found myself sat cross-legged at the edge of a campfire. Wait, what the hell? Where am I? Familiar, extremely attractive 20-somethings prodded at the smoking coals, danced to a pop melody eking out of a tiny stereo, and downed nameless beers. Across the fire pit, a woman caught my eye. I found myself walking over to her, 
and before I could stop, I pulled her up from her seat, leant her back in my arms, and pressed my cold lips against her hot, salty ones. The kiss was nice. Great, even. Although it tasted like she'd been chowing on peanuts all evening. What the hell is going on? Oh, Carl, you always know how to hold me. She giggled and closed in for another kiss. Carl? Who the hell is Carl? I peered above the head of the woman sliding her tongue across my tonsils and out to the smiling partygoers. To the blonde tattooed boy dry humping another blonde boy against a tree and the large man in an orange mask behind them holding a shining metal axe. He thrust the axe into the neck of one of the boys and a decapitated head flew to the leaf-strewn ground. I pushed the woman away from me and I screamed. Stumbling, I tried to get away from the campfire and the man. His axe whooshed through the air behind me. I stumbled and tripped my way into an unlit forest, my legs guiding me away from an obvious escape route. I tried to stop them and turn towards a road, but they wouldn't obey me. Then the man was upon me. His axe bit into my shoulder. Fuck, it hurt. It hurt more than anything I knew before. I screamed, a deep and raspy scream, and wrenched my arm free from his blade. Hot blood coursed down my arm and soaked through my polo shirt. I reached down with my good arm for a fortuitously placed tree branch, but at the last minute I changed my mind and kicked out, booting the killer in the crotch. The man wobbled and then shimmered out of existence, leaving a black buzzing space where he'd previously stood. I gripped my shoulder and carried on running. The hive of bees returned, filling my head with their buzzing cacophony. I clenched my eyes and shoved my hands over my ears as if it would somehow block the sound. I blinked and the buzzing subsided. I looked at my arm. No blood, no polo shirt. Eyes darting around me, I couldn't see the killer or the woods. Zuri stood in front of me, hands clapping and a twisted grin smeared across her scarlet lips. What did you think? She fired off, and before waiting for my answer, I know there's some issues, you can't make any changes, you have to go with the script. She doesn't like it when you try and change things, Zuri said, pointing at her PC. What was that? Zuri crashed onto the sofa beside me. A movie? That wasn't a move. Oh, yes, it was. In fact, that was Die Campers Die 7. I thought I'd start you with something you knew. My left eye twitched, like maggots crawling under my skin. It only surfaces when Zuri has done something extremely stupid. I was in the movie. Yeah, yes, you were. You put me into a movie, and the first thing you decide to put me in is a fucking horror slaughter movie, she grimaced. Ah, I can see why you're a bit... I'm not a bit. I'm very... What if I died? Nah, don't worry about it. If you die, the program cancels. You can't die in the machine. I asked her how she did it, and she showed me. Multiple times. That doesn't mean that any number of times she explained how it worked, I understood it. I mean, the basic concept was, with her programme, you could enter any movie you wanted. Although at first you couldn't choose who you were. She'd ironed out that kink by month two. The worst part was having to go with the flow. The number of times I glitched one of her movie programmes, fighting against some shitty character's decision to hide in the basement or fuck another character. Yeah, she caught me off guard with that stuff too. Once we were at the point where we could enter the programme together, it was great until she started adding films we hadn't seen. The Gifts, for example. It was listed as a thriller, 
So of course we went into it expecting a gun-blazing battle. I chose spy and model Candy Owens, because who wouldn't? Zuri went for muscle man Kai Jones. It was fine for about ten seconds while the buzzing faded, until I found myself bent over an oddly warm pile of rotting corpses in the middle of a battlefield, being screwed by a man wearing nothing but a weapons belt. We noped the fuck out of that one, our friendship now taken to a new level. We don't use any movies we haven't seen before. By the time we hit month three, I dumped all my savings into this million dollar idea, and we'd both fitted our lower backs with ports for direct connection to the movie maker. Yes, that's what it's called. They're not the most comfortable body mod additions, but they make for a stronger connection to the movie, and no more buzzing. I still have to stick a plaster over mine when I shower. It hasn't healed properly. Of course, Zuri's healed in a week. Maybe I scratched mine a bit too much. It was rather itchy. I drained my mug and started munching on a bag of corn floofs. Tasteless, unsatisfying, yet filling, and only 30 calories for the entire bag. Sometimes I'd suck them and try to imagine a flavour. Any flavour. Perhaps something vaguely cheesy, like toe jam. Zuri leapt up from behind her desk and slouched into her chair beside me, a remote control in her hand. She didn't need to jack in after me anymore. She could set it all up from her chair. I was impressed, but I was expecting a little more with the utter excitement of her python hug. I feel like I haven't slept in a week, she said. Now I looked her in the eyes. She had huge purple bags beneath them. But I did it. I finally did it. I cracked the program. I nodded, hoping she'd explain further. We can do what we want. We can change the movie. Seriously? I've spent the last three days testing it. No glitches, just a little AI. You added AI? Yeah, enough to have the film program follow our lead. I dropped my packet of corn flutes onto her wooden floor and turned to give her a hug, reaching across the armrests of our chairs. You goddamn did it! I really did! She looked a bit shocked at herself. So, where are we going? Well, I thought you might like to give Austin Fear that slap you've been promising for months. You didn't. I totally did. Get ready to enter the madness beyond. She announced it like a 1950s monster movie voiceover. I think if I hadn't already been before I got to her house, I'd have peed a little bit. <gasps> Can I please, please, please be Captain Rodriguez? Oh, go on then, she said. Only if I can be Starla Duguid. Sure. We jacked in our ports, and Zuri, giving me one last wicked grin, hit a flashing blue button on her remote. Click, thud. My steel toe-capped boots hit the muddy ground, and my service knife jangled against the buckle on my right calf. Droplets of condensation splattered the sodden ground from the smooth leaves of the trees above. Humming and chirruping coiled around me like a symphony. I couldn't believe it. I was here, deep in the darkest part of the Amazon rainforest. Afternoon sunlight peeked between layers of green. The air was thick and hot, like a steam room. This is going to be great for my skin. Color skin. Color isn't real. Is my skin even real while I'm in here? I lifted my sleeveless vest top and stared at my abs. I need to get me some of these bad boys. I prodded them. They felt real. I could feel the abs and could feel my finger pressed against them. 
It was like being trapped in someone else's body. Leaning against an off-roader was Yar Potielsa, a Russian cartographer, tutting and folding over pages of a map she'd pulled from her backpack. She grabbed a compass from her pocket and turned on the spot. Austin Fear flicked his lighter back and forth, staring off into middle distance. Unrecognisable arms crushed around me in an extremely recognisable way. I pulled out of the hug and grasped Zuri's, no, Starla's hands before whirling her around like children in a playground. Her cropped brown hair was now a tight red bun. Loose fringe hairs caught in her eyelashes. She blinked them free and released my hand, spinning me away. I skidded across the muddy floor. Zuri, now Starla, cheered. We did it! We did it! No, this is all you. I bring the cash and snacks. I adjusted to my new, more athletic physique and jogged between trees, tracking my hands against their gigantic trunks and caught vines and moss in my fingers. I trotted back towards Starla. She twirled a formidable gun around her hand, taking aim at shrubs. Have you tried talking to Austin yet? Zuri asked. She slipped the gun back into her holster and set off towards him. I grabbed her arm. Wait, weren't they doing anything? Shouldn't they have, I don't know, started the film or something? Remember the first ten minutes of the film was stuff in England, with London going crazy and people stabbing each other? You know, that bit with the woman, the dog and the traffic cone covered in mayonnaise? Oh, that bit. So, by my estimate, she said, tapping her temple, they're going to stand around and wait their turn. I rolled my eyes. That's stupid. I think that's all they've ever known. I thought you said you put some AI into this. Why do you think we're able to have this conversation without being thrown out of the film? I'd forgotten. I've been too busy enjoying Carla Rodriguez's body to think about the consequences. I'm pretty sure Captain Rodriguez and Starla Duguid have never pranced about in the jungle before. Isn't that right, you handsome chunk of beef, you? Zuri shouted towards Austin. Maybe we should try Potty Elsa, I asked. Well, it's not like we have anyone else left to choose from. I love Zuri's can-do-no-fuss attitude. Sometimes she comes across as a teeny tiny little bit of a dickhead. I need to stop calling her Zuri. She's Starla. Starla do good, and I'm... Potty Elsia? I'm Captain Rodriguez... No, wait, you already know. Potty Elsia, what are our coordinates? The stork-like woman unfolded her map with her slender fingers and rested it on the bonnet of the off-roader. With the precise tip of her index finger, she prodded the weathered pages and started to respond, but froze in place, lips trembling. I stepped forwards. Potty Elsia? She walked backwards towards me and Starla, her measured steps heel first, leaving deep imprints in the dirt, the map shaking in her grasp. Captain, we're ready, said Potty Elsia in a thick Russian accent. Ustin has marked the best route to avoid any of the deadly traps which lie ahead of us. We'd finally caught up with our movie intro. I tried to keep a straight face. The actress playing Potty Elsia was an Englishwoman and couldn't do a Russian accent for Toffee, but I loved her character all the same. Thank you, Potty Elsia. In that case, we'll take you. I'm going first, yelled Starla. She took off running towards a pathway through the trees. I knew she was going the right way, but I also knew there was no way she was going to stick to the path. As much of a fastidious scientist as she was, she was also a reckless asshole whenever given the chance. In my most captainly voice, I shouted back, Oi! Wait for us! 
Do we have everything we need? I asked Potty Elsia. She nodded and gave some kind of hand signal to Austin, who grabbed his hefty shoulder bag of books and papers covered in strange symbols, not to mention the reason we were all here. The idol. It bulged out of the top of his bag, every inch swaddled in what looked like chamois leather and newspaper. Even when watching the film, the audience never saw the totem, not even at the end when Captain Rodriguez tried to return it. It remained in shadow. We'd always joked the director wanted to make sure no audience ever went crazy from seeing it and tried to sue him if their grandma started disemboweling the cat, or, as Zuri suggested, cousin Bobby began massaging his rectum with his mum's prize set of Jesus-shaped china figurines. The three of us set off following Starla's tracks through the mud, the steamy air cascading water droplets down my spine and into the back of my cargo pants. As expected, Starla hadn't stuck to the track. Her footprints vanished between an arching tree, bent like it was bowing to some great and powerful tree god. Arborita, there's a good name for a tree god. Austin looked at Potielsia, who looked at me, then to her map, and back to me and Austin again. We can follow, she mumbled, looking less than impressed. I wonder if they remember doing this before, like a dream within a dream. It was always the same until we came and pissed all over it. Nope, it's a movie. This is their first time experiencing this. I know this better than they ever will. Weird. I nodded, still musing on whether it was the AI making Potielsia seemed annoyed, or if it was a character trait I'd never noticed. We ducked below the archway and followed a trail of crushed flora deeper into the bush. Zoo, Starla, where are you? Captain, you've got to get over here! A voice yelled in the distance. At least she got my name right. We pushed on towards Starla's voice, reaching a line of huge monkey brush vines with their tight clusters of crimson flowers. We walked up a steep incline, following the sound of running water. It wasn't quite a roaring waterfall, but maybe a river. Finally, an opportunity to see my reflection. Starla stood at the edge of a lagoon. Crystalline waters bubbled with the flow from a stream. Was this always in the film? Somewhere written into the script, or even as a sound in the distance, or more of the expanding changes Zuri's AI allowed. This felt like an anything goes kind of situation, and anything goes isn't known for ending well. Austin! Starla called. Yeah? Is there any reason why we can't go swimming here? Nay, said Austin. Then it's settled. It's hot, I'm sweaty, and I haven't been swimming in years. Starla... I sighed. We've been here less than an hour. I know, it's great, isn't it? Better than I thought possible. Potielsia tapped me on the shoulder. Captain, we really must get on. Miss Dugood is being rather peculiar. I didn't have the heart to tell her. No, this was the Zuri I've always known. Consummate unprofessional. She'd be more likely to read how to hotwire a car than hunt for her missing keys. I had to give it to her. This was amazing. From the repetitive chirp of a lurid yellow poisoned dart frog hanging from a passionflower vine to the discomfort I felt in the swampy heat, I pressed my hand against Potty Elsa's. Don't worry, we'll have time. Enjoy yourself a little. But, Captain, it's an order. Oh, that felt good. Potty Elsia backed off and sat on a moss-covered rock at the edge of the lagoon. She rifled through her backpack, pulling out various maps, before grabbing a pack of what looked like beef jerky and tearing off a perforated tab at the top. 
She chewed a strip of salted meat and kicked off her boots. Starla pulled off her shirt to reveal a black string bikini top. Clearly the director dressed her for action. It reminded me of the RPGs I'd played years ago. Female characters' gear always got skimpier the better protection it offered. Eventually you'd have an all-powerful paladin in a mithril thong and nipple clamps clubbing a goblin to death with a phallic-shaped sword. Because sure, that's what every female-identifying gamer wants. Fanny Floss and a metallic cock to win battles with. Starla stripped off her pants to a matching bikini bottom and leapt into the sparkling water. I held my breath with her, counting beats until she resurfaced. One one thousand. Two one thousand. Three one thousand. This was taking too long. Finally, with a huge gasp and a splutter, she appeared and swam towards me. You need to get in here. It's like a posh heated pool. I looked over to Austin. Are you sure this is safe? You know the history of this area. He shrugged. Yeah. Damn, I could never get that man to stop talking. Such a chatterbox. I stared into the water at my reflection, my lilac curls replaced by a white blonde bob. Amber eyes narrowed, assessing the face looking back at them. Smiling an unknown smile, I stripped to my less sexy than Starla's bikini underwear. No swimwear for me. Apparently I wasn't part of the director's fantasy, with my purple floral knickers and mismatched white utilitarian bra. Rather than diving, I lowered myself into the water, surprised at how relaxing it felt, despite its equal warmth to the steamy air. It was like a cup of tea on a hot day, still refreshing enough to make you feel revitalised. I swam out to where Starla was now paddling in circles. We couldn't do this back home, she said. True, we live in the arse end of London. Or at least I do. And the Thames is far less forgiving. After this, you'll be a millionaire and you can live anywhere you want. Even the less arse-like end of London. She was right. This idea was a goldmine. All we really needed was to get the porn industry on board with this project and we'd be sorted for life. Where the fucking goes, the money flows. Not to mention the amount of suffering you could relieve by inserting dying people into their hero's shoes. I think I'd like to live my last few hours on this planet as someone who could fly, escape everything, and be alone with my thoughts and a spectacular view. I reached the middle of the lagoon and floated onto my back, flicking water off my toes towards Starla. On the bank, Potialcia had almost finished her packet of jerky, shaking the remaining crumbs onto her lap and picking them up with the tip of a moist finger. Austin scrubbed his fingers through his thick ginger beard and sat down beside her, before tucking his bag between his legs, both of them staring out at us on the water. I waved. They didn't wave back. This wasn't the adventure to save humanity they'd signed up for. I'd forgotten why we were here. All those people back in the UK, dead because of the weird little package in Austin's bag. Starla, not to be a buzzkill. This is fun and I'm having a great time, but there's a reason we're here... She bobbed her shoulders in and out of the water before floating onto her back and resting her head against mine. Yeah, I know, but isn't it nice to not for a change? I pointed to Potialcia and Austin, who were now deep in conversation I couldn't hear. I get it, but they're clearly not up for notting. Austin rose to his feet and started waving his arms. See, I told you, they're bored and want to get on with this. I think he's trying to say something, said Starla. I laughed. (laughs) <laughs> Do you think it's ya or nai? He looks upset. I changed positions and swam towards the edge of the lagoon. Stop! yelled Potialcia. 
She pointed to a patch of rippling water about six feet from where Starla still floated in the centre of the lagoon. At first, I wasn't sure what they were pointing at, but it didn't take long to surface again. A behemoth anaconda, its head wider than my body and its tremendous length twisting in the water twenty feet behind it. My eyes followed the bends of its body backwards until I spotted the tip of its tail sliding from the water's edge beneath the surface. Its eyes locked on Starla, and it shot through the water like an arrow. Starla, it's a snake! Get out of there! Starla flipped from her back onto her front and began swimming away from the snake, but it was swifter and more lissom in the water. Torn between getting back to protect her and getting out of the lagoon and finding a better way, I chose the latter. I swam to the nearest edge and pulled myself out. I ran to where Potty Elsa and Austin stood searching the ground for something. Austin scooped up a rock and launched it at the snake. It distracted it for a second, but it returned to its course. Starla was the weapons expert, but I couldn't see a single gun lying beside her discarded clothing. I gave up scouring her clothes and looked for rocks, my eyes darting between her and the ground. Potty Elsia returned to the water's edge, screaming at the snake to stop, and something in Russian that I was sure translated to a curse. The snake continued its charge after Starla, its jaws twitching, preparing to constrict and swallow her whole. From its size, I didn't doubt for a second that it could. She stopped swimming and reached down under the water, dropping her face below the surface until only her eyes and the top of her head showed. She pulled a glock out from beneath her, lined it up with the snake and fired round after round towards it. Gun blasts echoed in the lagoon. The snake changed direction, weaving away from her bullets, but it didn't slow. Where the hell did she pull that from? She could have been keeping it in a... No. Zuri has some standards, surely? Click. Click. Out of bullets, Starla threw the empty gun at the snake. It missed and sank into the water. I paced along the lagoon's edge, looking for anything to help. Keep swimming! We can't slow it down! Starla reached under the water again. I got this. She pulled something khaki green and round from beneath her, put it against her mouth, and... It was a grenade. I realised at the last second what she was doing, but couldn't help thinking what else she'd stored away in her... nethers. She pulled something khaki green and round from beneath her, put it against her mouth, and... It was a grenade. She threw the grenades towards the snake, turned away, and swam towards the water's edge. The grenade did exactly what grenades do. The clip flew through the air, the grenade soared towards the snake, smacking it bluntly on the nose before detonating. Water and smoke shot into the air, followed by chunks of bloody snake. Its percussive wave hit me like a kick to the chest. I gagged and forced a hand over my mouth. Potielcia looked shaken, but okay. "'Sure!' said Austin, nodding and grinning. Starla jogged around the bank towards us. Oh my god, that was amazing! I stared between her and the remaining body of the snake, already sinking out of view, changing the water from a crystal blue to a deep red. I dropped onto the rock where Potialcia had previously sat. I can't believe you did that! Starla wrapped her arms around my shoulders and sat beside me. It was so awesome, wasn't it? I, I don't even know what to say. Oh, come on, that was pretty cool. Where the hell did the gun come from? And the grenade? She gave me a wink. I rigged the AI to give all our clothing pockets. Even your underwear. Even my underwear. I shook my head. You're a genius. Oh, I know. We should have tried to save some of that meaty goodness for dinner. You want to eat the snake? Why not? 
It's going to waste otherwise. I grimaced. I'm not getting back in to look for half a dead snake. There's probably more of them. It's way more than half a snake. Anything that size here has already eaten all of its competitors. That's why it came after us like a mad thing. Poor baby was starving. Poor baby. You blew the thing up. So? Doesn't mean I don't feel for it. You cheered. Starla nudged me. And you didn't. Let's change the subject. Sunlight dipped low through the trees, casting long shadows in the amber light. We should have finished hours ago. The film was only 90 minutes long. I'd assumed we'd be in here for the same time, but this was nearly four hours of walking, swimming, snake attacks, walking, grumbling, and getting blisters, which, for non-real blisters, hurt more than I'd expected. I stretched and blinked the setting sun away. Something buzzed. A low hum like a field full of bees lazily collecting pollen. I blinked again and found myself sat in the dark beside Starla in front of a roaring campfire. How did I? I couldn't remember how I got here. The heat from the fire coursed up my legs and across my torso like sliding into a hot bath. The air, still thick with moisture, seemed to quiver around the fire, almost daring to try and quench its flames. There's something so primal and comforting about an open fire, the way it moves like hypnotic dancers. I shifted my arms, wrapping them around me in a hug. My left breast throbbed like I'd been smacked in the boob. I shuddered and dropped my arms. Starla rolled something shiny around in her hands. A tin. My stomach rumbled. I hadn't realised how hungry I was. She yanked on the ring pull. It creaked back, flicking beads of gummy orange towards the fire baked beans. I wasn't the biggest fan of beans, but they do in a pinch, and my stomach was starting to eat itself. How did we get here? I whispered. Starla tipped the beans into a mess cook tin and placed it atop a layer of coals she'd flattened beside the fire. Cutscene, or at least I think so. I was waiting for you to catch up, she said in air quotes. You sat there staring off into the middle distance, so we started without you. I was? Yeah, like a trance or something. Were you somewhere else? I think so. We were all still walking. The sun started setting. That was two hours ago. What do you mean? I asked to stop because it was getting dark, and you'd stopped responding. At first I thought you were still pissed about the snake stuff. When you didn't react to me twisting one of your nips, I realised you weren't playing. That explained the boob pain. I blinked and I was here. Also, keep off the nips. Fine. It's better than Austin's suggestion. He suggested something. Nah, I'm kidding. I punched her in the arm. Can I have some of your beans? I'm starving. Potiyalsia munched away on a second pack of beef jerky and took swigs of a suspiciously vodka-like liquid from a glass bottle. Starla and I tucked into her tin of beans with only one spoon, taking one mouthful each at a time. I'd asked if we could use the AI to summon up a burger or two, but she said it didn't work that way. I don't think I'll ever get my head around how these things work. Austin rooted around in his bag, pulling out packets of vacuum-packed food. Not the stuff you add water to, but the space snack stuff that's pre-juicy. He rested his bag on a rock beside him and squeezed his space goo into a tin and leant forward to place it beside the fire. His elbow caught his bag, launching it onto the ground. His books and papers scattered. The idol rolled across the ground towards the fire. 
Austin dropped his tin of food and leapt forward, reaching for the idol. He caught it before it touched the coals, but in the process, he tore a section of its wrapping away, revealing that which lay beneath. He gripped the idol, knuckles white, hands trembling, and tucked it back into his bag. I furrowed my brow. Austin? Is everything okay? He sat back on his rock, his fingers tapping on his knees, playing a melody on an invisible piano. Yeah. No. Yeah. 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 Potiyalsia placed her bottle and beef jerky on the ground before rising to her feet and heading towards him. Austin? No. No. Yeah. Each word grew in intensity, punctured by a sharp intake of breath. Yeah. 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 He lurched forward and swung a punch at Potiyalsia with one of his great bear-like arms, hitting her squarely in the chest and knocking her backwards. What the fuck are you doing? shouted Starla. She grabbed a gun from one of her many miraculous pockets and pointed it at Austin. Potiyalsia staggered away, coughing and wheezing. Austin swung again, missed, and stumbled towards me. I held out my hands in front of me. Austin, stop it. You need to calm down. Austin, stop it. I think he saw the idol, said Starla. Are you sure? Austin dropped to his knees and clawed at the ground, throwing clumps of moss over his shoulders. He grabbed a handful of mud and smeared it across his eyes, pushing hard with his palms, trying to scour away something he'd seen. Potiyalsia tried to pull his hand away from his face. Stop it! He pushed back and clambered to his feet, his eyes bloody and raw. He looked around the camp, assessing what to do next. Starla, her gun trained on Austin, walked closer. You gotta calm down, dude. You'll be fine. Take a deep breath. Austin's chest rose and fell like a wild beast. He whipped his head round to where Potielsa previously sat. He lunged towards the rock and scooped up her bottle. Potielsa leapt onto his back, wrapping her arms around his neck. Niet, Austin, don't! He swung an arm back and knocked her to the floor. She rolled out of the way and dodged behind Starla. This wood, put it down or I'll shoot, yelled Starla. Austin winced and poured the contents of the bottle over his head. Alcohol soaked into his shirt and pants and pulled on top of his leather boots. Drips fell from his beard. He walked into the coursing orange flames of the campfire. Fire ignited the alcohol vapour that circled him, creeping up his body, licking the vodka from his clothes and burning holes through the taut material. Nothing left to do but watch in horror. Austin didn't scream. No one did. In the moment, Potiyalsia sank to her knees, cradling her chest as if her heart attempted to escape. Flames exploded in a plumed cloud, like a phoenix tail of red and yellow, crackling and spitting, fire feathers bursting from the charred skin of Austin's face. Starla dropped her gun and grabbed my hand. A smell of burnt meat erupted from him. He doubled over and collapsed onto the pyre. Liquid whistled from his skin, boiling him alive. Tears streamed down my face. We need to get out of here. This is wrong. So wrong. We can't. We have to finish it. I turned away from the fire. Austin's burning body scarred on the inside of my eyelids. What do you mean? Can't we control or delete our way out? There's no escape function. I hadn't finished running through all the testing yet. I grabbed her shoulders my face so close to hers that spittle landed on her cheeks as I spoke. 
What do you mean there's no escape function? We can't just leave. We have to finish the story. Complete the mission to get to the end. What if we all die in here and can't complete the mission? I guess it might kick us out. You guess it might kick us out? Starla narrowed her eyes. I don't know. Do you fancy trying Austin's method and we can see if it works? I pushed her away. You don't have to be a dick, he just died. He isn't real, Starla spat back. The burnt bacon smell, the sound of his split skin and fat hissing seemed all too real to me. I know, I know. You two are crazy, yelled Potty Yelsia. I'd forgotten for a few minutes that she was here. She snatched Austin's bag from the floor, leaving the books and papers behind. Busting past us, she scooped Starla's gun from the ground. She pointed it at us, the barrel quaking in the firelight. I'm going. Don't follow me. Potialcia gave one last wave of the gun before turning and running into the darkness. Wait! Don't go! I called after her. I knew it was no use. We've well and truly fucked this up. Starla sighed and sat down. Aren't you going to do anything? She shrugged. Why do I always have to be the one to do something? Right now, I'm going to do this. She grabbed her beans tin, scraping off a congealed layer of dirt, and tipped the rest into her awaiting mouth. She chewed and looked over at me. I knew that look. I guess I did rely on her to lead the charge. But she's normally the first to throw herself at an idea. I'm the sidekick, the lackey. I don't make plans, I follow the leader. We need to get the idol back and finish the film. Starla wiped bean juice off her mouth with the back of her hand. Bingo. Do you have any idea where Potielsia is going? She's the one with all the maps. I'm pretty sure she'll be heading towards the finish line. How do you know that? When you zoned out, she took the lead. She got us this far. How far is this far? Starla pointed over her shoulder. I know you can't see it, but back there is the pathway to the mountain cave. Is it really that close? How else do you think the characters made it there in under 90 minutes? But I thought we'd been here for hours. We have, but we didn't have to be. I looked at Austin's remains on the fire. Layers of blackened skin peeled away from his roasting bones. Did that have to happen? Probably not. You ready for this? I nodded. I wanted out. I was ready for a hot bubble bath in my shitty apartment back at Fanny End. Starla grabbed a couple of giant glow sticks from a pocket and snapped them, casting her in a blue glow. Come on. We took off after Potielsia, following her footprints. In the distance, I could see the mountain lit by a spectacular full moon. A moan echoed through the forest. An animal, perhaps a tropical bird. We'd seen so little fauna since arriving. I'd spent so much time thinking, and not enough soaking in our surroundings. I listened for the call, but it never returned. Starla pointed to a set of stone steps, and a rickety bridge high over a ravine. Do you remember this bit of the movie? The bit where Captain Rodriguez cuts the rope bridge loose and saves them all from the flying cave spikes? Yeah. I grimaced. What's wrong? You weren't here to save anyone this time. I don't get what she means. We ascended the stairs, each row of carved stone growing steeper. I'd always hated this scene. I'd watch it through my fingers. Now that I faced it, it was worse than I could have imagined. I don't like heights. It doesn't make me special. Lots of people are terrified of heights. Across the bridge was another set of stone stairs leading to a cave. Beyond the cave lay the final path to the idol's cradle atop the mountain. 
Oh, hell. A third of the way along, they potty Elsia, her chest pierced by five thick wooden javelins. Blood oozed from the wounds, soaking her shirt and staining the dusty wooden planks. Lines of crimson spittle ran from her chin and dripped onto her lap. I gripped a wooden stake at the bridge edge. Is she? As a doornail. Where's the bag? Hanging between the planks, caught around Potty Elsa's ankle, was Austin's bag. What happens if one of us sees the idol? I don't know. I hadn't really thought about that. I guess the film would end. In fact, I'm sure of it, said Starla. But it made Austin go mad. You know what happened to the others in the movie. Yeah, but we're not part of the movie, not really. Let's not look at it. You're such a worrywart. She pushed me towards the edge of the bridge. I can't do this bit. You'll have to do it. Don't be silly. If you fall, you'll just go home. I... I... Starla sighed. Stay here. She skipped over gaps between the planks, the bridge swaying from her heavy strides, and landed squarely in front of Potielsia. I shuddered, expecting the bag to somehow come loose and fall into the ravine. Starla grabbed the bag loop from round Potielsia's ankle and hooked it over her shoulder. Potielsia mumbled, blood trickling from her mouth. She's alive, I cried. She's probably crazy by now, said Starla. I think she's just hurt. We can't be sure. But Starla gripped the javelin closest to Potielsia's heart and twisted it deeper into her. She yelped, coughed, and fell silent. Why, Zuri? Don't call me Zuri. I did what I had to. What if she came after us? She couldn't even move. Starla sighed. It's done. Now let's finish this. You're a monster. No, I'm not. It's just a film, remember? Nothing matters here. She was right, and so very wrong at the same time. Starla reached a hand into the bag. We'll be home soon enough and never watch this film again. I wonder if there's anything of Austin's left in here to help us over the next trap. Ouch! She pulled her hand back from the bag. A jagged cut ran the length of her thumb. Starla kicked one of Potielsia's boots. What the hell was that? She better not have broken the idol. Don't! She opened the bag and peered inside. Her head twitched, shaking like a dog trying to free water from its fur. She pulled a piece of broken compass glass from the bag and closed the flap over. Damn that shot. She threw the glass over the edge of the bridge. Are you okay? I asked. Yeah, just a cut. Why, why, why? You went a bit odd when you looked in the bag. I'm dandy. Wonderful, in fact. I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Fine, fine. Come here. Let's get this thing done together. She wasn't fine. I knew it, and I think she did too. Maybe there's another way. I needed to distract her and try and get the bag from her. Starla staggered towards me. There's no other way. Don't talk back, bitch. We we got this. Zuri, you're scaring me. Oh, 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 I'm scaring you now, am I? I, I, I. I knew she'd seen the idol. In the madness beyond, anyone who saw it went nuts. Captain Rodriguez was alone at the end, after putting a bullet in the three members of her team. I'd hoped maybe Zuri was right. We'd look at the idol and we'd just go home. It was now or never. Suck it up, you complete and utter wuss. If you don't do this thing, she's going to die and you're never going to get out of here. 
I ran for Starla and tackled her down onto the planks beyond Potialcia's body. The bridge twisted and shook beneath us. I gulped and grabbed the bagstrap, yanking it away from her, but she tried to hold on. I slammed my fist into her nose. I've never been much of a fighter, but this was for her own good. If I could get to the end, I could save her. Starla released the bag and clasped her hands over her nose, blood pouring from between her fingers. Oh, fuck you, Noel! I'll get you for this! I leapt to my feet and ran towards the cave. Bang! Something shot past my head and struck the cave wall, showering the ground in rock fragments and dust. Bang! 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 Starla was shooting at me. Get back here! I dodged falling rock and dove into the cave, avoiding another hail of bullets coming from Starla. For all I knew, she had another grenade concealed in her panties. My ears hummed, my head spinning from the noise. Everything flashed white. What the hell was that? I crumpled down onto a row of stone steps. A dozen steps ahead of me was the cradle, a crude stump of wood carved to house the idol. Another cutscene. Nearly there, Noel. You can do this. Be your own fucking hero for once. I reached into the bag for the idol, or more my hands did. I fought against them. Wait, no. I couldn't stop my hands. Couldn't control them. Why now? I clenched my eyes. My hands peeled back layers of leather and paper wrapped around the cold, smooth idol. Stop, please stop. Moonlight peeked through a slit between my eyelids. The idol, the movie, whatever it was, forced me to obey the script. The original script. This was the true ending. Captain Rodriguez gets so close to returning the idol and is drawn by its sway in the final minutes. That's why we hated the ending so much. Who does that to their audience? I wrenched my hands away from the idol and threw the bag towards the cradle. It landed with a thud. I knew what I had to do. I reached into my right boot and gripped my knife handle. I pulled it free and held it up to my face, taking in Captain Rodriguez's reflection one last time. It was now or never. I pointed the blade towards me, took a deep breath and drove it into my left eye, piercing the soft membrane like a poached egg and forced it deeper into the jelly. I screamed, agony rippling through me. I retched, half-digested beans running down my chin. I pulled the knife back, taking a deep, staggering breath and drove the knife into my remaining eye. It's done. I yanked the knife free and threw it behind me and crawled towards the bag. I grabbed the idol and held it up to my face. I couldn't see anything. Adrenaline dulled the pain, and I dragged myself towards the cradle. Only a few more steps. I reached the hard wooden plinth and pulled myself up, legs shaking. Rotating the idol in my hands, I slotted it into place. Pop. Something changed. Something I couldn't see. I collapsed to the ground, crying. Loud music filled the air. Things zoomed past my head. Another hit my side, knocking me onto my back. And another. And another. I was batted back and forth, tossed around on a ground that no longer felt like stone. I struggled to breathe between things slamming into my back and chest. The credits. This was the end credits. Why was I still here? Music changed to an upbeat pop song, and then to an instrumental number with bongo drums. It's going to end soon, and I'll be back in Zuri's lounge. Thud. And we can put this thud all behind us. Thud. Silence. The music ended. The beating ended. But I didn't.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thank you, listeners, for listening to the episode 1109 by Pippa Bailey and Just Like the Movies. The story was told today by Erica Sanderson. To find out more about today's author and storyteller, please visit thewickedlibrary.com and check out their bio pages. And guess what? I'm there, too. Um, You can check out my bio page there at the Wicked Library, Meg Hofdahl. And don't forget the people behind the scenes are making this happen. Like Meg Williams, today's producer, as well as our lead editor and executive producer, Scarlett R. Algie. Our resident composer and executive producer is Nico Vitesse of We Talk of Dreams. Artwork for today's episode was created by the super talented Jeanette Andromeda our art director and executive producer, and of course, our showrunner is Dan Foytek. The Wicked Library is created by Ninth Story Studios, LLC. Thank you so much for listening. And um, remember, if you want to find out more about me and the people involved in the episode, you can go to thewickedlibrary.com. You can also find me at Meg Hofdahl at Twitter. You can find me on Instagram at Meg Hofdahl. Pretty much everywhere. At TikTok, I'm Meg Hofdahl and Kelly Florence. So please reach out and uh, let me know how my hosting was today. Thanks so much. And until next time. <laughs>